Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me for this Dharma talk from India. I um, have been practicing here now as a student for just about um, a little more than three weeks. And it's been really, really nice to kind of reconnect and be a student again. I know that the time is a little bit odd with the time change from India to where you are. I think everybody's sleeping in the United States. So I would imagine that you're joining from somewhere maybe in Europe or the Middle East or maybe somewhere else in Asia. And yeah. So the main thing that I guess I wanted to talk with everyone about is the concept of endurance. And there's this, uh, a, 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 something that's come up in the practice and also in the additional studies that we do when we're over here is this concept of needing endurance and to develop endurance as a spiritual quality rather than just a sort of, you know, cardiovascular quality or something like that. But the idea that spiritual endurance being able to stay the course through difficult times and being able to kind of be in it for the long haul through the ups and downs is a really important quality that is considered foundational to being a spiritual student. And if we lack endurance, then what ends up happening is when things get difficult, it's too easy to turn away because there are an infinite number of days when we don't feel a good lift up when our bodies don't feel flexible and when you know our legs don't want to do what we ask them to do. And if we expect somehow to only show up for our practice when things are feeling good, when we're able to you know, do a good job from the external standards, then we'll lack the kind of spiritual fortitude that is really required in the practice. So the idea of endurance is something that's talked about in uh, the Bhagavad Gita as a concept that every spiritual aspirant really needs to be able to uh, kind of tune into and, and, and develop within themselves. Part of the notion of spiritual endurance is also the willingness to accept certain types of suffering, certain types of pain. 
Now, this is not saying that we should go out and look for suffering and look for pain. It's the idea that we'll meet those as obstacles on our path. And spiritual endurance gives us the ability to, well, really to endure more than anything else, to kind of um, experience what we experience without it hardening us and without it making us quit. So there's this idea, and sometimes when we hear the word endurance, we think of kind of grinning and bearing it. And that's not what's talked about in regards to the spiritual quality of endurance. When we're thinking about this uh, component of spiritual endurance, it's this ability to accept um, difficulty, to accept struggle, to accept hardship without it leading to bitterness, hardness, a hardening of the heart, uh, a kind of bitter turning away. And it's also important that the quality of spiritual endurance brings with it the intention to see clearly rather than to escape or zone out or kind of, you know, deny the existence of what suffering may be there. And spiritual endurance also includes just the, the, the ability to kind of self-motivate, to get ourselves to unroll the mat and do the practice or do whatever our sadhana is. And without that, if we're always going to be dependent on external circumstances, and those external circumstances can include your teacher um, and all the qualities that your teacher may bring towards, towards you or towards the practice, if the external circumstances are also how your body responds to the practice, how the body feels, you know, for looking for a good feeling in the body, um, and we'll only practice or do our practice when things feel good. The external kind of circumstances may be what kind of feedback we're getting from the world around us. So it's like, if we need everything to be in a particular way, then that quality of spiritual endurance is actually quite far away from us. So it's something that we need to find within ourselves, this idea of self-motivation, the idea that, you know, we're willing to show up and accept the pains that naturally arise when things don't go well for us in our practice, you know, when our body doesn't feel good, when our teacher doesn't give us the kind of attention that we would like to receive from our teacher, when the world doesn't give us the feedback that we would like to receive from the world, that we're willing to endure and we're willing to stay the course. And I'll just say again, without a hardening of the heart, because some people stay, but they become hard. They become bitter. And, in, and it's very easy to let ourselves kind of go down that road of bitterness. It's actually um, much more, it's much easier to kind of become bitter towards difficulty and hardship than it is to endure with an open heart, to endure while maintaining a sense of softness, to... Um, kind of simultaneously acknowledge that, you know, we would like our bodies to feel healthy and functional and, and at the same time, recognize that they're not. And we would like to, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to recognize that we would like, you know, our teacher to notice us in a particular way and sit with the pain that they're not. While at the same time, making sure that none of those experiences keep us away from actually doing our sadhana. Because the idea in the sort of bigger picture of the spiritual path is that there are multiple lessons that we're learning at any given time. And they're, the way that the lessons kind of on the spiritual path show up are not necessarily all designed in the framework of what feels good. 
that in fact, many of the uh, lessons that we learn along the spiritual path come from moments of struggle, moments of challenge, moments of hardship. So if we think about how we can learn to endure, maybe the first lesson to really think about is that neither the practice nor our lives should always feel good, nor should our practice nor our lives really constantly deliver us moments of positive self-esteem and kind of ego reinforcement. There are many times that the opposite is true, that our practice is designed to challenge our ego, to take away a sort of false sense of a kind of, you know, a false sense of identity and challenge us to say, well, who are you when all this is stripped away? You know, who are you when the gaze that you get from your teacher is disapproval rather than approval. Who are you when everything fails on the mat rather than succeeds? You know, who are you when everything goes wrong? And, um, you know, Ani Pema Chodron, she has a really wonderful book called When Things Fall Apart. And I, I really recommend this to anyone who's um, sort of inspired by the, the, the sort of spiritual teachings and especially the Buddhist teachings. But it's a really wonderful uh, kind of guideline into how to spiritually endure <clears throat> um, because it's really when things fall apart that we need to um, think about that quality of endurance and things can fall apart in many different ways. You know, I mean, we can get that negative feedback that I was talking about, um, but then there's also uh, the idea of impatience. So we want to talk about impatience on the spiritual path. Um, in our contemporary age, we are not kind of primed for patience. We're primed for impatience. You know, I don't know if you do this, but I certainly do. If I'm, you know, looking at some product that I want to buy online, I check how long it's going to take for it to be delivered. And, you know, sometimes you buy something that's going to be delivered faster. Even if you wanted something else, like let's say you're um, trying to buy something online and you see, oh, look, this one will arrive today. But this other one that maybe is a better deal or it's more, you know, maybe you just like it better for whatever reason, it's going to take five days for it to arrive. Well, which one do you choose? The one that's kind of like instant that will come today or the one that will come in five days? And we're kind of primed now, literally primed by Amazon Prime to uh, want these things that kind of come very quickly. So impatience on the spiritual path can result in a similar obstacle, but a different obstacle. So first we talked about the, the kind of frustration and uh, that, that arises when life, life and or our practice delivers us challenges or negative feedback. Now we're talking about impatience, which is another thing that we can cultivate that quality of spiritual endurance towards. And I don't know about you, but I would imagine that many of you have been impatient about things happening in your practice, maybe also in your life, you know? Um, I'm working on um, many asanas that I feel like I've been working on for a while. And there are many people I know that have been working on certain asanas for eight years, 10 years, 20 years with little improvement. And it would be a false kind of advertisement to say that everybody is patient about it. In fact, many people People are impatient about it, including myself. I feel, oh gosh, you know? And one of the things that kind of comes up when we don't have that quality of spiritual endurance is we let impatience turn into frustration and bitterness 
judgment about ourselves and about whatever practice we're doing. Um, Impatience can also lead to a feeling of defeat and a feeling of quitting as though we just say, well, forget it anyway. It wasn't important. And we start kind of making stories around why we don't need to try any longer. And I've done that more times than I can really, you know, even think about. One of the great benefits of having a teacher is that your teacher can shine a light on places where you may have quit on yourself or places where you may be frustrated or impatient. Um, as I've been practicing and teaching, you know, Ashtanga yoga for nearly 25 years now, one of the things that I can share is that Sometimes people will push and push and push and push and try, um, including myself, you know, for one asana and nothing will happen for many years. There'll be no movement, no improvement. And then they will either get really frustrated and get really impatient about it. um, And then they will do one of two things. They'll either quit at that asana and think, oh, forget it. Or they'll kind of make peace. With that, I've tried, I put all the work in, I've done everything I possibly could. And, you know, this is what it is. And what I've noticed is that it seems like the moment we kind of truly make peace with things, that's when our attachment to the result softens. And then I've seen things change both in myself and in other students. When we quit, that's qualitatively different. Um, When we quit, we kind of give up. We don't bother trying anymore. We delete, we believe the excuses. And then we're no longer enduring. We've quit. We've walked away. To accept the reality of what is still means that we show up and try. We kind of still do our best and we accept and we practice with patience. Um, With the benefit of a teacher, we can kind of have a perfect amount of challenge and um, acceptance. So we could think of that as what Patanjali calls, you know, Adhyasa Vairagya Vamtanirodaha. So the Adhyasa, our dedicated practice, our effort, and the Vairagya, our surrender, to create that sense of stillness, the Nirodaha, within ourselves as we practice. And this is one of the, both the definitions and also the techniques of the yoga practice. So if we think about, again, endurance, I want you to think about for yourselves for a moment, where are some places or what are some other moments when you think endurance, particularly spiritual endurance, might be a useful quality. Um, Sometimes in regards to both challenge and difficulty and impatience and this idea of kind of the immediacy of our desires, um, we need to cultivate those qualities of spiritual endurance. But one place that you might not think about, or we might not think about, that we need to cultivate the quality of spiritual endurance is regarding when things go well, right? So we might not think about that. We might not think, oh, I need to endure the pleasantness. I need to endure the good times. So instead of um, understanding endurance and spiritual endurance only as a quality of when things are going wrong, I'd like you to expand your idea to think about about really cultivating that same quality of spiritual endurance when everything is going right with the idea that that too will be impermanent, that that good time will not last forever, that that good experience when things are going your way is a temporary experience. So to bring in your mind, oh, this pleasantness is temporary. This will one day pass. 
is a type of spiritual endurance that recognizes the temporality of all of our experiences and will actually bring us into a more balanced relationship with the hard times. Because then we can remind ourselves, oh, this challenge I'm experiencing is not forever. Just like the good times were not forever, this bad time is not forever. So then we can also respond in a more balanced way to the pleasantness. Sometimes when we experience pleasantness, then we get very attached to pleasantness. You know, we have a a conversation with someone and their presence or their countenance kind of brings us a sense of peace. And we immediately think, oh, they were nice. Let me see if I can hang out with them again, you know, and then we do something really good in our practice and we think, oh, that was wonderful. How can I do that again? We get an assist in a yoga pose from someone and we suddenly think, wow, they're amazing. When are they going to come give me that same assist again? And we create this kind of expectation that uh, kind of, I don't know, it creates this almost untenable path forward where we're constantly seeking to create the, or recreate a previous high that was once in the past. And the future is held up to this you know, unrealistic expect, expectation of what once was. As soon as we experience a pleasantness, if we don't have the idea of spiritual endurance, we, we, we've shifted the goalposts for what the next high has to meet and exceed. But if we can meet that sense of pleasantness with the concept of spiritual endurance, we can recognize this experience with its impermanence had a certain quality or flavor, and now it's gone. And whatever the next experience is will have its own quality and flavor, and then it will also be gone. So to understand that notion of impermanence allows us to kind of zoom out from, you know, a broader or bigger perspective. And this is one of the, one of the qualities that is uh, talked about in almost all of the sacred texts here on the yoga path. So to remind ourselves over and over again of that quality of spiritual endurance in the challenging times, in the pleasant times. And in, in times of impatience, which are really just a response to unpleasant times. Now, of course, we can have all sorts of reactions to unpleasantness. And it's important for us from a spiritual standpoint to be able to watch from kind of a metacognitive perspective, which means to be aware of the quality of our thinking as we're thinking of it, instead of merely identifying with our thoughts as true. So it's important as spiritual practitioners to embrace that notion of metacognition so that we're aware of this is a challenging time and here are the ways I'm responding to it. And how can I change my response to that of spiritual endurance? So again, there are are numerous other qualities one could cultivate and have towards challenging times, whether it's impatience, whether it's judgment whether it's anger, depression, all sorts of things. And I've experienced all of those in regards to the difficult times that I've experienced on, you know, on the path and in the practice. And there were times that those emotions and thoughts swirled around and I didn't have a metacognitive perspective. I sort of thought that it was true, that this was horrible and it felt permanent. But now after having practiced and just lived longer, I really realized from, you know, direct experience as well as what all of the scriptures are telling us is that every high and every low are impermanent. Things change. So if we can embrace that from a truly global perspective, then we can cultivate that sense of spiritual endurance within ourselves. 
And that way, when we see the depression arising in result to everything not going our way, when we feel anger or jealousy as a response to um, other people attaining those results that we would like to attain, when we experience impatience at the results not arriving fast enough, then we can zoom out again and say, oh, this is how I'm responding to this negative circumstance. How can I cultivate a sense of spiritual endurance? And this is one of the just one of the most important, I think, qualities that often gets glossed over because we get into the practice and we think, wow, this is wonderful. Oh, this is great. And we just get enamored with the kind of beginning notion of the practice, thinking that good energy will just carry us through for the rest of our lives. But if this is going to be a lifelong practice, we have to truly find a sort of a kind of self-generating ability to stay with the path through difficulty, through hardship, to keep getting back onto, onto the mat, if that's our sadhana, to stay on the path over and over again. Stumbling, yes, but always coming back. Now I've been uh, I've been here practicing with my teacher in Mysore, and it's been a real blessing so far. And it's, I'm I'm going to be staying here for two months, and this is the first time I've stayed uh, for two months in India practicing for gosh more than I don't know at least uh, definitely more than five years, but I want to say at least eight or maybe even ten years. My first trips to India were more were were about 25 years ago. And I came to India for two months on my very first trip. And then my second trip to India, I stayed nearly six months here. And and it was a different time. Now it's so easy to be here. There's not so much to endure, I must say. Um, it's quite easy to be here in comparison to what it was like 25 years ago. There's internet everywhere. Um, there's, uh, you know, phones with internet and and Amazon has come to India, so you can have that instant delivery. Uh, just ordered some toilet paper on Amazon yesterday. So in India, it is still true that, that toilet paper is still a sort of self-service um, kind of experience. So if you do want toilet paper, it does need to be something that you involve yourself in directly. So I've ordered some toilet paper on Amazon because I forgot to buy it when I was out and it arrived uh, immediately. <laughs> so, so that was handy. Um, 25 years ago, I don't even, I mean, Amazon wasn't even a thing. It didn't even exist yet, let alone, um, you know, in, a, in other countries. So, so things have changed. I remember that there were numerous things previously, like just not being online, not being able to make a phone call to my family and tell them I was okay and feeling just generally out of touch that now we're very connected, um, here in India. And there are many different types of food options, different types of accommodation options, different types of transportation options. Um, you can even call a rickshaw uh, with, an, with the Uber app here in India, which is kind of exciting if, we, if you think about it. So you can have an Uber rickshaw. Um, you can also just call one on the street as well. But uh, a friend of mine who is Indian uh, shared that with me. He said, oh, look, it's so easy now. We can just call an Uber rickshaw. And I thought an Uber rickshaw. At first I didn't make the connection that he was referring to the Uber app. I thought he was talking about some like super fabulous, like, you know, Uber rickshaw, like, like a, like a wow rickshaw. And he said, no, it's like the app you use in the U S instead of a car, a rickshaw will come. 
<laughs> and uh, I haven't tried it yet, but maybe I will. So I remember that feeling of just needing to um, change your whole sense of, you know, what your routine is, what your day is, what kind of tea you drink, what kind of coffee, what kind of food, and having to kind of switch completely. Anybody that's ever lived abroad for a long period of time kind of knows the feeling of um, enduring the feeling of being away from home. And that's changed a lot, especially for me now coming to India for so many years. There's definitely a part that feels like I miss India a lot when I'm not here. So it's kind of flipped in some ways. But um, but I, I think it's very important for everyone who's practicing yoga to make time to do some sort of immersive course or study, whether that's coming to India if you're an Ashtanga yoga practitioner, doing a retreat or doing something even it could be a 10-day silent meditation retreat in, or, or in the Vipassana tradition or some other tradition, but some place where you go to devote yourself entirely to the practice, taking on whatever difficulties and hardships may arise during that intensive and immersive course of study, whether that's changing food for you, whether that's changing time that you practice, whether that's letting go of attachments, whatever those attachments might be to family, loved ones, these sorts of things you might need to leave behind for a period of time, whether it's leaving, you know, your known universe, your safety realm, whether it's, you know, giving up various creature comforts to go and immerse yourself in some sort of study with the recognition that there still may be more endurance required of you when you get there. Right. So it's like, oh, look, I've given up everything. I've come here and I'm going to do the practice. So we think it's going to go really well, recognizing that it may go very badly from an external standpoint. You know, um, some people, for example, uh, I, I've had I, this happened to a friend of mine, um, you know, that 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 uh, they come to India and drive around on a scooter and then get into a scooter accident. And then suddenly they have to deal with that. And that becomes the focus of their trip. So rather than improving their asanas, then they're dealing with rehabilitating, you know, road rash or something like this, or, you know, that's the mild version. Hopefully, you know, nothing else would have gone wrong. But the we, I think it's very important, again, to reiterate that at some moment, every practitioner, I really recommend to make some immersive course of study where they'll be challenged in terms of what they need to give up and in terms of what the experience may be you know there have been many times when you feel oh i'm not getting the attention that i want from my teacher or i don't like this community they're not responding to me how i would like them to respond and then to use all of that as a time to endure of course this should be said that on no circumstance should we ever tolerate or take any sort of abuse of any type or any sort of um, you know, physical, emotional harm that may come, but sometimes, you know, not getting a yoga pose from a teacher really, really isn't that bad. And we should accept, okay, my teacher didn't give me a yoga pose. The life is not ending. I'm still got my practice. I, you know, they've, they've not abused me. I've just not received a yoga pose. Sometimes the kind of equivalence of different forms of hardships really needs to be, you know, flushed out. So what I'm saying is that 
if a, if a situation in a community or with the teacher ever gets abusive, this is not something we need to endure. This is something we need to exit. And that's an important thing that should be stated when we're talking about, you know, spiritual uh, endurance. What we're talking about is the everyday sufferings of discomfort, things we don't like. You know, uh, another example could be waiting in a line. Um, I just watched a, quite a funny comedy skit um, uh, uh, from, from a comedian I really like called Trevor Noah. And he talks about how there's a moment when people, they just don't like to wait in the line. And if there's a really, really long line and there's only one cashier who's open, then people at the end of the line will start making faces of themselves and, you know, doing long exhales to kind of share their frustration. And I think we could all see that, you know, waiting in a line is not abusive in any way. It's just irritating. So if those are the circumstances, uh, the irritating circumstances that we are told to endure without it hardening our hearts, without it creating walls of bitterness. And, and then what's on the other side of that is something we can look towards, you know, a kind of sattvic or peaceful disposition that's able to weather the highs and the lows without too much fluctuation, without too much, you know, emotionality, without too much imbalance and, and, and hopefully with clear sight, because as soon as the emotions get triggered and we lose our ability to see clearly, then whatever decisions, actions, or viewpoints we're taking are far from the sort of heart of the spiritual path. So this is what I've wanted to share with everyone so far. And I, it's definitely been something that I've been working on myself in regards to how the practice is going here. It is quite difficult. I do more here than I do on my own at home um, at a time that I really don't like to do my practice. I have to be on the mat practicing at 3.45 a.m., which is not my preferred time to do anything except sleep, to be honest with you. Um, I have a commitment to maintain my Vipassana meditation practice. So I sit for an hour before that, which means I wake up at 1.20 in the morning. It's um, completely insane. Uh, my husband wakes up at 1.35 in the morning. Uh, so he wakes up 15 minutes later and we're in our vehicle uh, going over to the yoga shawl at 3.15. So it's, um, we're basically nocturnal, uh, and it's difficult to get enough sleep. It's difficult to wake up and let the body and the brain try to function at that hour. We get back from practice around 6am. So we've got, you know, we practice for a little more than two hours, the asanas, and then we come back. The sun has not risen yet. And sometimes we're able to go back to bed and sometimes we just can't. So it creates kind of, we like walk around. If we can't go, we can't take a little after practice nap. We walk around the rest of the day, like zombies or like yoga zombies walking around. And then hopefully we do manage to get some sleep at the end of the day. But there is this quality of, you know, um, dedication, determination, some sort of notion of endurance, particularly as it goes on, you know, as, so one month is nearly coming to an end and then another month will start. So if you sort of look at that on the horizon as, oh, there's one more month of waking up at one in the morning, then it can be a little overwhelming. Um, the best time to practice it for me at that hour is when I've just arrived from the United States to India, and then I have jet lag. So I'm awake at like the same, I'm naturally awake at that time. So for the first week is wonderful. And the longer I stay, the harder it gets because the jet lag diminishes. And then I adjust 
to the time zone here, which makes it more and more difficult. And then the body gets this kind of, you know, accumulated feeling of deep, intensive practice every day. So it um, somehow doesn't get easier when you stay longer. There's more endurance that happens uh, the longer you stay. So I don't know if that's a good advertisement for wanting to come to, to Mysore and practice, but, but uh, I do really recommend it for everyone who loves Ashtanga Yoga. <laughs> so does anybody have any questions uh, that they'd like to ask, even if it's just about you know, the experience of being in India or you're thinking about going to Mysore or, or anything even that might be coming up for you in regards to your own, um, you know, your own practice? And, and, and if you wanted to go into any of those notions of spiritual endurance a little bit more, we could do that as well. But I'll just give you a moment. If anyone has a question, you want to type it into the chat or, or raise your hand. I'll just give you a moment. And I say, Georgia wrote, thank you. Thank you, Georgia, for joining. It's always nice to see you. No questions today? Oh, I see a question. Hmm. So someone's written, um, hello, Kino. I met you in Bali November last year. Back fins and second series are bringing up a lot of emotions and it's only just occurred that this may be related. Absolutely. So anybody practicing intensive back bends, particularly starting the second series, should be aware that there is a high correlation between starting the second series of Ashtanga Yoga, especially the second series back bends, and heightened emotionality. This is something I experienced that every practitioner I know that practices Ashtanga Yoga has experienced. And it's one of those things where we do need to endure. And it's important that we pattern a kind of healthy response to those emotions. So rather than letting them, you know, roll, like roll us over, we need to really cultivate a kind of sense of observation, a sense of how to respond to our emotions with, from a sort of, from a position of, of, of metacognition. So observing our emotions without necessarily identifying with them, understanding the impermanence of our emotions and recognizing that there's a certain kind of processing work that may need to be done. So if some very, very deep personal emotions come up and we feel overwhelmed or overburdened by them, especially from the practice, the practice itself may need to be supplemented with longer time in meditation or the help of a mental health professional. So sometimes we need to talk to our therapist and really like help us just talk and process. You know, sometimes old memories come up while we're practicing. And we need to really be able to, to flush those out and work through those. There's a reason they're coming up during our practice. And sometimes we need more than just keep practicing. Sometimes we need more meditation to help, you know, downregulate the nervous system and practice how to respond to those emotions. Sometimes we need help off the mat in order to help us integrate whatever we're experiencing. All that being said, it's completely normal for you to experience heightened emotionality whenever you experience backbends, and especially when you do second series. The danger with Ashtanga Yoga second series is if you start too soon and that emotional wave starts to come and we haven't cultivated a sense of spiritual endurance already by practicing primary series in a dedicated and continuous manner, then many people will quit when that emotional wave kind of crests and it gets too much to handle. So my advice to you is to really keep practicing and use all of the tools that are available to you and try to be as consistent and as disciplined in your practice as possible to not slide away from those second series backbends. Do them lightly, modify them, adapt them if you need to, um, if that feels right for you, but try to keep the consistency as much as possible. 
there any pain or injury in the body, you can always go back to the primary series. But as much as possible, try to keep the consistency of those of, of, of those asanas in your practice. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.